a slow meandering affair. He wants to kick, he's gotta go now. With Josh Kerr. All right, here, David Rivich. Josh Kerr. David Rivich. Josh Kerr's for real. Fastest D2, 1500 meters. Josh Kerr on the outside. Way up front now is David Rivich. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Sink Kick Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Kerr. And I'm your better host, David Rivich. <laughs> we actually switched that around. That sounds nice. Uh, today, we are sitting and kicking it with not Peter Elliott, not Steve Cram, but Josh Kerr, the man who added Olympic greens to his name this summer, an Olympic medal for his granny, an uncle to the barehanded Jackie Kerr this fall, an engagement ring to his Mrs. Ham this winter, and now a record to his family name in the indoor mile and indoor 1500 meters. The king of the north who ran... 29.89, 28.26, 29.56, 29 29.04. 29 he goes in from 800 to 1200 meters and he runs 27.69, 27.62. And then for his last quarter, he goes 28.14, 28.69. Negative splitting of 348 mile. Josh, is it in short, is this the best six months of your life? <laughs> uh, no, from, from ages two to three. I became a bit of a baller, so that was pretty difficult to compete with. But now nah, it's been going well, man. It's been going well. I'm not going to lie. I've got high expectations of myself. You know, the brand has high expectations of me. The team does. Everyone's kind of pushing each other on to big things. And and to be honest, if I if I didn't push on from the summer, I'd be getting depressed. So yeah, I'm just out here, just um, just trying to keep things exciting, mate. That's that's the big idea. We're we're entertainers at the end of the day, and that's uh, hopefully what it what what it's like watching us race and and watching our lives kind of unfold on the social media platforms. Absolutely. And speaking of entertainment as well, just to let you guys know, this is going to be a very interesting bonus type episode structure where we'll be very, very quick and we'll be very, very catchy on some of the segments that we're doing. But this won't be a full length episode. This is going to be getting to the point, getting to the facts, the mentions, everything that kind of went on these last couple months in the indoor season. So, Josh, I just want to start getting into this right away. Let's talk about Milrose to Boston. All right. You had 28 days or something like that, one month to work from getting second behind Ollie Hoare to then coming back and running a British record. So let's just kind of think through where you were that whole month and what you were doing. Let's just, let's give the people what they want to know. I'm a bitter man, David. I'm <laughs> a bitter, bitter, horrible man behind closed doors. And so it doesn't really take much for me to get real pissed off, which you may have seen before in our YouTube uh, episodes and, and, and some fire was built. And I told you right there, right then that, you know, that's going to that's gonna piss me off and that's going to fuel training for a little bit. Um, we had some big goals coming in. And to be honest, it was just head down, get to uh, get to work, to be honest. Um, to, like the big thing for me, I was I was very grateful to be in this position where I can go after these times. You know, Dave, you saw me in October, man. Like we had we had some work ahead of us. And so, you know, when Danny called me on Thursday, he's just like, you know, how are you feeling? I was like, I feel brilliant because there's a bunch of hard work behind me. And, you know, I'm really excited for this opportunity. So, yeah, the workouts, uh, I think we probably had, you know, three or four big uh, workouts in between. And I just, uh, you know, we ended up running the Audible and, and, and running that 800 in, in Spokane. Is it Spokane or Spokane? I'll I give mean, you what you want at this good. point. I don't want to bring you down anymore so you can pronounce anything like you'd like right now. Splokane. Splokane. Well, we ran that under us at the Spokies, and that was it. Was a good confidence boost. I I didn't really want to do it. Danny said it was a good idea. I texted him afterwards. I was like, "You were right on that one, Gaffer. Like that was a good decision." 
but yeah, it was just, it was fluid. It was, it was easy. Uh, and, but yeah, we just got to work back here and, and, you know, we knew we'd had to be in a pretty fit spot to, to be able to go after the British record. And then when it got closer, I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going after both. Let's get greedy with it. Let's get, let's get some excitement. And uh, Danny texted me the week of the race and said, please stop talking about it. Uh, or maybe he called me. He was like, don't, you know, stop hyping it up and stuff. Cause I don't know if he was nervous or if he had to stop, like he didn't want more people to know about it. So cause more people want to be in the race or something yeah. like that. Um, because it was quite difficult for the race director to, um, yeah, to pretty much shorten the field to like 10, 12 people. Yeah. So let's talk about that as well, real quick. Um, so we're talking about that race. You had Waleed, a teammate of ours pacing. You had Kidder behind you. You had me behind you. And it was a pretty picture perfect race for that big of a field. So when you're going into those races, you know exactly what's going to be entailed. You told us all what you're going to do. You ended up doing it between eight and 1200. You put a 27.6 and a 27.6 together back to back, separated yourself from the group of us. We all fucking started swimming in lactic. That's totally fine. We get that. But where do you draw the line for yourself of your expectations? Do you expect to run 348? Or were you banking on that? Where, where are you going? So you called me like 10 days ago and you were like, you know, we're going to do it. I'm going to come to Boston and we're going to go for this. And, and this, uh, and I was like, Dave, this world record ain't too far out, man. I knew I was going to run under 50, but I just didn't know how much by because I'd never done it. Uh, I heard Boston was a fast track. And I was like, if I've ran 352 in a race where, you know, it wasn't my, you know, wasn't my best tactical race, but um, we were on the rail for a bunch of it. Uh, and we ran reasonably fast, like obviously all they ran 350. And so I was like, you know what, if I just sat on him, I feel like I could have sat on him. He probably still would have beaten me. I'm going to give him the respect there to say that he was better than me on the day, regardless if I had made that move or not. Um, but yeah, I was like, you know, I probably could have ran 351, 350 point high, maybe, I don't know. Um, and then, you know, a full month of work for me um, during that time was a lot. Uh, I knew it was going to help a lot. So I was like, I could go 49, 48. And then when you're talking about that, you're like, well, I mean, 47 is just there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was just whatever. I mean, the pace, the pace was a bit back and forth. It was a bit fluid. Like, I didn't know what we were going to do. I wanted 153, 154 through 800 um, and then get to work a little bit. I think we we're a little bit slow. Your 809 was 156.75. All right, so we're probably 155 point high. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Willie did his job perfectly. Um, but it was the problem is, is he can't read my mind. And my mind was like, we need to go faster. Um, and I did tell him to go faster once, and he did. He picked it up. And then it was just like, you just got to get out of the way because this is just about to go off. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I knew I was going to run fast. I, 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 like, I approached it as a 1500 race. Um, and then just kind of dried my ass that last 109 meters. So you can see me put a little kick in with like 100, 100 to go um, and have a little peek over to the, the 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 time that was on our right, this big board, but it was just so terribly placed, this big board. Um, so we're just like looking over to the right. But um, yeah, and then just dragged, dragged myself. But once I got the first one, I knew I'd get the second one. So it was just like, I didn't really care how fast I ran the mile. I just cared that I got both of them. And um, that was kind of the big idea, but... Yeah, yeah you're close. I mean, it was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, absolutely. That was that's gonna be one of my most cherished memories in the sport for my entire life. Truthfully, my head and everything there was at 
Boston, but my heart was absolutely at the USA championships, knowing how much I wanted to do and be there. But for you guys listening, for you guys watching, we want to say that we actually have video rights for the lilac. So we're going to do a, a video race breakdown uh, for the 800, maybe the 3k we'll see. But then we also just got confirmed video rights from flow track. And we're going to have Josh break down that world record. <laughs> British record. <laughs> you got to take five. five. I got to take five. Um, so we're going to have Josh be able to break down that uh, British record, Commonwealth record, European record, and uh, really give you guys that expert insight on what kind of a psychopath it takes to run a 55 third quarter. Um, so Josh, you want to talk about the night out, the celebration, what we did after, or do you want to just fucking segue out of this? <laughs> it was good fun. I've never, I've never ordered beers on Uber Eats, to be honest. And I ended up working out pretty well. We're obviously able to watch our teammates. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, it was the Guinness, the Guinness went down pretty smooth there. I'm not going to lie. It was it was coming and going. I think the more you drink Guinness, the more you hear Irish accents. So those all those people could have just been from Boston, but the Guinness is what filled our minds with these these uh, Emerald they're Isle. Lovely well, actually, no, they're not lovely people. They're grumpy, <laughs> grumpy people. I will say. Um, Dave was Dave was getting rowdy in a, in a pub that only had about us seven plus two older men who seemed to become my best friends at the end of the day. Um, uh, but you know, it was it was it was a lot of fun. It was nice to it was nice to end kind of a, a really good day where you know we had a full pvs across the board um and and you know the ending of a of an indoor season so we get you know a week of an easier easier running and things like that and it's just it's just nice to finish finish and doing races with with your teammates and, and spending time with them rather than you know being on your own or anything like that i think that's i think that's an underrated part about being a being part of a team Absolutely. I mean, when we went to Boston, we all had one mission. That was to get you the British record and get us all personal records and just get pulled along and have a good time. Like Kendra and I both knew that like we needed to run a good time to have a good time. There's no way that any of us were going to go home unhappy. And what we had to do was commit to that. And I'm, I'm very happy with the way that those things worked for Kidder and I and how Wally paced you and Ali B gets her PR because that night of Boston, when we we're three miles away at 2 a.m. in the morning and we're beginning to walk down the narrow brick streets of Boston, like, that was some of the most fun I've had. Like I felt relaxed. I felt loose. I felt like I was just with the group of people that we've done something incredibly epic together and we get to celebrate those moments in the moment. And I, um, I absolutely agree that the, the team aspect of this is, is one of the biggest reasons I think you should root for our team or a team, because if athletes are genuinely involved in the other athletes success, then you're going to be able to see that. And it's going to be very transparent. And so very exciting. Did Josh tackle me into an ice bank and nearly break my nose and scratch up the side of my face? Yeah, he did, but that's all right. You know, I, I take that on the chin or take that on the nose. I should say, um, Josh, this is a big discussion right now, but why do athletes turn down world bids? So bef even before all this stuff that came out today about, you know, they're not sure what's going to happen with world indoors and stuff like that. And world outdoors with, you know, certain countries getting, getting banned and things like that. But to be honest, like, even if you take the location out of it, it's just bad timing. Like we have such like so many championships right now. And, and if I'm going to be honest, like who really cares about world indoors? I'm sorry. Like who actually cares about world indoors? Because February, March, April are not times where like athletes have their peak, like peak performances. It's not. Like there's a reason why indoor world records and, you know, area records are slower than outdoors. And it's not because they're slower tracks. It's because 
people aren't as fit as they are when they're in July or August or September even. And so I just, I feel like, you know, you're only able to send a couple of people, the people who are there, not everyone goes. I don't think there's ever been a year where it's like the who's who of, you know, the, the 1500 or the 5k or the, or the 3k, sorry, or anything like that. So it's just a little bit like, it's a bit dead, like with such big years. So you've got obviously Olympics last year for, for us, like we've got world's Commonwealth games and Europeans outdoors You've also then got worlds again next year, and then you've got Olympics again, and then you've got worlds. So it's like we're not, you know, we're not like lacking championships. You're not lacking so, a team to make. Exactly. And now that the US are going to have um, outdoors this year, that's so much more important. And yeah. so, um, and so, like I, I just feel like from my point of view, it, it it doesn't hold as much weight. Like a world outdoor medal versus a world world indoor medal, it doesn't hold as much weight. However. If you're someone that hasn't been to a major championships, wants to get experience, I think it's a great, you know, a championships to go to. But I don't feel like, you know, you're going to see across the board. Um, you know, I'm not really speaking about sprints or anything like that in, in field events because it's difficult to kind of, um, I, I, I'm just not in that like, like area. So it's difficult. Um, but you're just not going to see as deep fields. You're just not. And so, you know, when the winners of world indoors this year aren't, in my opinion, world champions. So let's say, let's say Jakob Ingebrigtsen goes world championships. He wins. You still give them, give him that world title, even though he's one of the best of the best. Yeah. He's one of the best and the best, but he, it's like, it's like when you win the Super Bowl and they call themselves the world champions. Yeah. But no one, no one else in the world is playing. So it doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know. I don't, it's just, it's such an interesting concept and people might disagree with me and I, I I'm okay being wrong. And this is me roasting people that I like as well. Um, yep. it's not really a roast. It's like, you know, um, for someone like Isaiah, it makes sense. Right. Um, because his trajectory uh, and the way the amount of times he races and what he likes to do is he likes to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. roll into the season. And, you know, he had a, a bit of a later start than, than we did. Um, and he's really coming in a form. He's raced so well. And then he's, he's gone to the U.S. championships, which you can say it wasn't the strongest U.S. championships. There's plenty of people in there that weren't there. Yeah. Um, which is backing my point up. And he runs a really good race and he's going to World Indoors and he's, he's going to compete extreme, extremely well. And that will give him a great platform coming outdoors. Yeah. I, you know, like the 800, I think, is still, you know, pretty tactical. Um, you got you got to work on things to get real sharp for outdoors. You know, it's the same and you know, it's the same even in the mile, but it's just it's just it's just an odd year, man, because we are so condensed with championships and, you know, everyone has their own decision. Everyone has like their own, you know, goals in this sport. And if your goals are to go to as many major championships as possible, then, you know, go ahead and do that. Like that's that's your decision. But I think what we're seeing is that people are just going, you know what, I'm going to prioritize world outdoors. And the best way for me to do that is taking a little bit of rest now. And then we're, we're going to get back to work and get ready for outdoors. The best thing for Isaiah is to go and get some more championship experience, go and um, continue this kind of trajectory that he's on, where he's going to continue working, get better, get better, get fitter. Um, and then, you know, maybe take a little bit less downtime and get ready for outdoors because that's just the way he works. Yeah. Um, I think Kidder would have been the same um and like because the 800 is just that way 
um, I feel like you can knock out a lot more eights than you can 15s, yeah. especially in this day and age where the 15 goes so fast. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's still going to be exciting championships. And I, I, I'm not trying to disrespect any um, of world medalists or anything like that when it comes to indoors. But I just think that if you're going to hold, you know, if, you, if you're putting everything into world indoors to shun world outdoors, I don't think I've ever heard that in my life. Yeah. Would it make a difference for you if you were training in Scotland or training somewhere closer to Serbia? Like, does the distance of travel also change your perception of whether or not you want to do the event? Like, let's say the World Indoor Championships were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Would you do them? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. no, the travel makes a huge difference because it, it like that changing time zones suck and getting getting all, all the planes and all the risk of illness and especially all the stuff that's going on right now. It's like... um yeah, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to go all the way to Serbia for for my own my own training. Um, but yeah, if it was here, I would have done it. Um, but I mean, I'm I think I'm traveling back to the UK probably like six or seven times this year, and it's a lot. It's That's like um, it just seems like it, this doesn't help. Um, but like I, I I really do like people who haven't gone to major championships going to these things because I think it, it makes such a big difference when you go to your first major championship it hardly ever goes well because it's such a different environment. It's very intense. You obviously have all the travel you have to, you know, you're doing it with USATF, you're doing it with British athletics and they have their own, you know, their own coaches, their own physios, their own doctors, and they have their own setup. So it's just, it's, it's very good to get used to that kind of stuff and know yeah. these people when you're going, when you're going to try and properly um, win or medal or, or make finals or whatever it is that your goals are, I think it makes a massive difference because people always say like, oh, I'm going, you know, I have the experience now, now I can go and do it properly. And, you know, I've, I've made a million different decisions since, you know, 2017. If you, if you compare 2017 to 2021 um, for going to a major championships, it would have been crazy different because you become your own athlete when you, when you get to know the surroundings with, with your, you know, your British athletics or USATF or whatever, uh, rather than kind of fit in their model. Uh, they have to fit around you a little bit more, which, which helps. Um, it helps your pre preparation and, and you know, how the races go at the end of the day. Absolutely. And um, I'm actually reading this book, uh, Malcolm X's autobiography, right? And there's a quote in there and it, it just kind of came to me when you said you're doing things differently from 2017 to now 2021. And the quote is, anytime you find someone more successful than you are, especially when you're both engaged in the same business, you know, they're doing something that you aren't. And yeah. I think that's a very true quote. So when you find that these people go to USA indoors and, and world indoors, and let's say something happens, um, and then they don't make those team outdoors, but the people that made those team outdoors didn't run USA or world indoors, there may be some pinpoints there of how the seasons and how the training were trajectorying for uh, world championships. And that's, that's a whole different rabbit hole. I mean, it's, it's, this is coming from a guy that was going to run the USA indoor championships that was going to run in Serbia. Like that's what, that was what my thing was. And this is a segue kind of into the next thing that we're kind of chatting about um, with, with kind of how my indoor season went, ran four flat at altitude. Then I ran eight flat for three K at sea level, absolutely broke every egg in that basket. And then two weeks later, I ran 355 in the race with Josh. And so it's like my trajectory, we were banking on me making that indoor team. Like if I would have made the team, I would have gone to Serbia solely because I have zero experience, kind of like what you're saying, to get that world and international level um, experience. I don't have that. I'm still getting into races that I could have gotten into college. And I'm not getting into races, anything at the professional level, because I haven't put myself in the position of a race to get to that point. 
or I failed in the moments that I needed to make something happen. But this is what I'm going to say now after Boston. Committing to that pace makes me want to only commit to that pace. Because when you look at that race, if you watch my race, there was a moment uh, you made that big move, Josh, at like eight to one K and you press and you went 55, 56. I come up onto Kidder's shoulder and then I tuck right back in after we go back into the turn. And I thought to myself, okay, next turn, go into it. But I used that one moment of hesitation instead of going around Kidder. I don't know if I would have ran faster. I don't know if I would have blown up even more. Doesn't matter. But what I when I watch that race, I think what I'm so proud to see is I faded a 31 second last uh, last lap to a 355 mile. That's got to be one of the slowest last 200s to run 355. But there's so much room for improvement there off that pace where I just need to be stronger, more confident, make those moves. But that's so cool to me to see is I made a move at one of the fastest opening 800 meters that I've had, and I wanted to press faster. But then I tucked back in, so there's still a little bit of um, inexperience there. And so, and that's the, one of the main reasons I'll race in LA on Saturday. I'm going down to LA to race a 15. And that's mm-hmm. something that I want to do because I'm like, I want to kind of use the fitness that I'm in. There's no pressure in anything that I'm doing, but let me try to lock onto that base and kind of experiment a little bit more because everyone is programmed different at the high school, college, professional level. We've said that a thousand times. And for me right now, what I want is just more experience and more indicators of where I'm at in a race type scenario. I'm brilliant at training. I'm probably one of the most consistent guys on the team in training. And I'll brag about that. But consistent training doesn't necessarily mean it translates to consistent racing. And that's what I want to try to find that balance and um, equilibrium in, in, in my career because I'm a workhorse. I, I'm committed. I do everything right. In my opinion, I could do things better. But the one thing that I'm still lacking is that professional race experience, persona, who I am, anything. Like my race plan going into Boston was be myself first and foremost. I wanted to be myself in everything that I did. I wanted to cross the finish line and immediately go to you, give you a hug. Didn't even know what we were going to run. Didn't care. But I just told myself, finish the race, find Josh, give him a hug. That's the first thing I did. And it felt fucking great to look at the screen and see 348, 355. Wanted to run faster myself, but that's besides the point because I PR'd and I stuck to the plan of being myself. Then the physical cue that I gave myself, and this is kind of big tangent, the physical cue I gave myself was no gaps. I didn't care if it was Kidder. I didn't care if it was you, if it was someone that passed me, I wanted to try to commit to every single gap. Even if I would start fading, I would still try to keep that gap the same or make a move around it. And I went backwards. That's cool. I, I broke physically, but I never broke mentally, which is where I was in Spokane. Spokane, I had my brain off. I was perfect. Everything was great for 2K. And then my race build up all the months leading up. I told myself, okay, at 2K, you're going to switch on. You're going to turn that brain on. You're going to go. You're going to let, let the world kind of see how well you've been working. And for the first 2K, it was picture perfect. I felt brilliant. I, I looked brilliant. I was sitting right where I wanted to off Jake. And then at 2K, I let my mind turn on. But what happened with that is I let everything turn on. I lost the entire focus of the race. I could hear the crowd. I could hear Josh. I could hear my mom. I heard my high school coach. I looked at the clock. I looked at the feet, like everything, every stimulus that I didn't need all of a sudden just engulfed me. And I shattered in a moment where I literally, all I needed to do was run as fast as I was running. But instead I just slipped my mind out of it. I faded back and I missed every single opportunity that I was aiming for. And I banked a lot on making USA indoors. I made a, I banked a lot on making the world team. And the darkest point of my career was the night of that 3k because I sat there so emotionally distraught of like, what the hell just happened? I've had the best training. I've been the most consistent. And so coming off of that, like it was, it was, it was not a defeating moment for me 
in that 3k what it was it felt more like heartbreak like i felt as though i betrayed myself i felt as though i let myself down because i didn't care to prove to anyone but myself that like everything that i'm doing is right and i in that moment i made it very very wrong and my heart like really really hurt like it it just pained me and so when i was at boston like i said it to you a little bit josh like my my head was in boston my heart was in usa's because i put a lot of emotional effort into that and on the flip side now when I think about what's going to prepare me for USA outdoors, because I can't think about worlds because as it is right now, I won't make that team where I'm currently at physically, mentally, I need to run faster. But what I will say now is if there's someone in the men's 1500 that can run 332 to 333 on the day in June to make that world team, they're going to make that world team. If they run 332, 333, Josh, I, I hate to say it, but every statement that you've made about American milers is very, very true. In that first, the American record is not slower than the British record, Bigger. but the commitment that it takes to be a global medalist and a global contender, you have to be able to commit to that pace and compete at a high level and then run faster. And everyone at the USA circuit is just barely getting the world standard at 334. Cole Hawker is the only guy that has ran, and obviously Cooper, but Cole specifically, that has ran at that high caliber level consistently everyone else has done it once everyone else has done it maybe twice so when you look at where i want to be for outdoors not making usas recalibrating running in boston seeing what i could do with just a little bit more experience fitness i mean it's it's june or it's it's february and i pr in the mile i fade but there's so much light there where I'm like, yeah, like we, we can do a little bit more damage here. I'm not a 355 miler. I think that's what frustrates me, right? Not a 355 miler. I get that. I'm right. racing that way. That's cool. My fastest quarter from uh, October to now has been 56.8. So that's like, we haven't even touched on where I want to be as a miler and that's okay with me. So when we're talking about these really big moments that and I'm going to speak to the people listening. Like if you have these big moments that you're aiming for and you fall short of those, let that suck for a little bit, but don't let that eat you away because there's going to be another opportunity that presents itself that you can totally recalibrate and kind of re-energize yourself to propel yourself even further than you were going to do and be in that exact moment that you thought was everything. And I, like I said, put a lot of effort into it. Like Olivia doesn't look or Olivia doesn't listen to this podcast, but I booked an entire vacation after the world indoor championships banking that i would make that team because i wanted to be able to celebrate that with her there's going to be a little bit of other celebrations on that trip but we'll figure that out when we get there but what i want to say is i now am firmly grounded enough to say i'm happier that i was in boston than i was at usa indoors because i got to experience a little bit more world class of i gained more from boston than i would have gained from usa's absolutely Absolutely. So thank you to that, Josh. That was a very, very big indoor segment. Um, but I want to now kind of transition this out because you into our next little segment, because Josh, you have put your name and face on Brooks. Brooks knows you. Everyone knows if people think of Brooks running, they're going to now think of Josh Kerr. You're the, you're the, the Des Linden of track and field for the brand. Absolutely. You pick up a, you pick up a spike like this and you go, Oh, look at this right? And now, now you're the face. So let's talk about these spikes. We're not going to get into great detail. We're not going to go haywire on the tech specs. Um, we work really, really closely with the engineering team and with our sports marketing department to make these the best spikes that they can possibly be. But Josh, 
go ahead and give a rundown on how these feel, how they ride, what you're kind of looking forward to in the advancement of Brooks and our involvement. I talked a lot just now, so I want to listen. I know you didn't even let me, you didn't even let me reply to you, dude. I was on a roll. If you'd like to reply, you can have a minute rebuttal, but let's, let's keep this thing rolling. Okay. Well, a minute rebuttal. I think, you know, it's difficult. There's this, this sport is constant and all it is is headlines and, and, you know, we see all the great things that go on, but like, you know, no one's really posting all that much about, you know, this is, this is what went wrong and this is why I did something bad. And, and, you know, we're only seeing like, you know, X person or, you know, Ingerbitson runs the world record. And then you've got, you know, I run the third best mile in you know history. And then you've got, you know, Cole Hawker is running, you know, it gets both uh, um, USA titles and it's just like, it's, it's constant good news. But the, the, the thing is, that's just not the reality of the sport. And yeah, I think, and, and like I said to you, it, it, you are perceived as an athlete in the way that you frame yourself. And, you know, I, I, I genuinely believe that, you know, you are, you're a much better miler than a 355 guy, but you think too much. And, you know, I, you, you try and rationalize it, but to be honest, mate, there's no rhyme or reason that I was able to run the splits I ran. There was, if, if I sat and thought about, you know, Oh, I'm going to go and run a 55 now. And I look to the times and I look to the splits, like, I, it, thinking in a race slows you down this is me talking to everyone now if you're making a decision in a race and it's not you're just instinct you're you're just taking time off the the end goal uh, and you know you'd run slower that way because thinking slows every single thing down the thing you should be working on in practice is being able to make those decisions as an instinct like watching henry's race at usa's he ran phenomenal. He ran really well. He made maybe one mistake on the last lap where he kind of half went and half didn't. But he's got so much better at that because he's been learning and he's been watching races. He's been asking questions. And so when you're talking about, you know, you made a little move and then you kind of had that hesitation, that hesitation has lost you that whole race, in my opinion, because you thought you made a decision. Like the, the, the easy part from my point of view is I had no one in front of me and I had no one you know, I didn't have to make any race decisions. It was just like foot in the gas and see what you've got, big man. But it was just like, everything was just like, this is exactly what I need to do. I need to put my foot down and I'm, I'm gone. That's all I was thinking about all week is like foot on the gas and just go. Uh, and that's why I was able to squeeze out as fast as I could. But when it comes to rationalizing these paces we run, Dave, it doesn't make sense. There's no rhyme or reason for it. Like, if you sit and look at splits before a race and like, okay, I need to run this. I need to run that. If we run this, then I need, but as long as you have an answer in your head for every scenario that comes your way, you're never going to run that bad. So I've run through every single scenario that go, would ever happen in a race. And I have an answer for myself already written out, already typed out where it's like a, a robot model where it's like, this happens, this is a solution. And there's no other decisions to be made. There's never a decision. It's like this equals this, that's it. And so when you get to that point where everything is so fluid and you don't have to think you're going to run your fastest times. And if you're trying to rationalize in a race, you're just going to have perspective and perspective trying to run, you know, low three fifties is so difficult because it's just impossible. I think you can run three fifty for the mile. I really do think that. And I think a lot of us milers can, but not everyone's doing it and they don't have to like, you don't have to run three fifty in the mile to make a team. You just don't. And like, you know, Cole obviously runs a really good race at USA's and, you know, Josh Thompson runs a good race, but they ran 239. Like, like 
they're not running 330, so you don't have to. And so, yeah, it's that, that's that's all I'll say is, um, you you've got to have an element of just being just dumb, stupid, confident, and yeah. um, where you're just like not like, oh, I'm gonna run this because this training has gone well, and this specific session is it's it's heart and mind, man. That's all it is. And and to anyone like, as long as you have a clear and confident mind. I, I genuinely believe that you'll be you'll be good. That's why the cockiest and the dickiest runners uh, seem to end up being quite good um, versus, you know, some of the nicest people in track because they just think too much and they're too smart for their yeah. own good. Um, You're too but, dumb you know, for your Dave, own, I believe I in you. I think I think <laughs> we've got big goals coming outdoors and and that's 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 the big that's the big idea. Like if we if you make your first world team and it's world outdoors in, in Eugene, Oregon, I think that's a, a fairy tale ending to this year. So yeah we've still got we've still got big things to happen and you know february can never define a year and that's what we'll stick with i like that and, and i want to add one um bit as kind of like just a, a ribbon on that whole presentation of what we just said is our podcast and like the things that we envision what we want to do like josh and i are very structured in what we do we're very strategic we know what we're doing in terms of wanting to give you guys the best content that we could possibly give you so if there's like a week where we don't give you something there's a reason for that we we rationalize all those things but what i'll say is our number one motto quote was do track differently it always is going to be but we're going to also add a little asterisk there of transparency you're hearing the most transparent thoughts like Josh saying that to me, but you're also getting to hear that. And I don't necessarily like the position of being my transparency in the sport and on our podcast right now has always been a little bit more on the defeat side of things. But the cool thing about this podcast is you're going to get the transparency of defeat and you're going to get the transparency of victory. And we're never going to try to sugarcoat things because everyone can get better in this sport. And we hope that we can help do that. And that's our number one objective is like this podcast is more than just a brand it's more than just something you listen to it's something that you get to experience and also utilize in your own experience and so with that josh let's go into that spike chat let's kind of bring it back around to brooks um we we each have it we're going to be very careful on what we say because we don't want to give too many big secrets away of the, the company that that pays the big bills for us but um let's go ahead and talk about that field josh you're wearing that spike you're holding it up you wrote british record like an absolute psychopath and you yeah. did it so let's talk about that feel yeah, I got I got in trouble for that from uh from the fan, but because <laughs> I, I showed them beforehand, and they were like, "You're really putting too much pressure on yourself." But the reason I did that, I'll give a little bit of a preface, is I got told that you know it's, cha it's championship season. We're we're a team that you know steps up for major championships. And I didn't feel a lot of pressure on myself because Danny told me to stop talking about these things, and so I was like, you know what? Like I I like to be that situation where it's like all or nothing on the day. Um, cause it really makes you the best racer when it comes to big moments. So I was like, I could really embarrass myself here by doing this. And I just, I, I, I genuinely saw no other outcome other than, you know, especially going under that 352. I didn't quite have the balls to add that times two at the end and the night before, but you know, that was, that, that, that came afterwards. But yeah, to be honest, like the biggest thing that I like about the new, the new era of spikes is that it doesn't feel like you're wearing a spike. It doesn't, you can't, it's not like. I feel like your foot and the spike are like one now, dude. Yeah. Like it gen that's what I really like about these. And and the responsiveness is the biggest thing. That's what everyone works on now is like weight versus responsiveness. And the, these wires, man, like they, they they're just built different. You know what I mean? Like I, I I really like the 
just just the detail that goes in the laces are super tight like and and so your foot's not moving around that was a big thing for me the upper's thick enough where my foot's not going to be you know moving onto the track because my foot sometimes comes yeah. out this way yeah so the upper's like thick enough where my, my foot's not moving but it's not too thick where it's a super heavy spike uh and, and it looks fire dude i'm not yeah. gonna lie the colorways great me for wearing socks with them yeah, but I wore I socks know, in I these. Like I don't usually wear socks, but I wore socks in these as well. And I've, I've raced without socks in these. And the cool thing about these is they're so breathable and they have the ability to wear whatever you prefer, sock or no sock, you're going to be able to work with. And I actually kind of liked the sock fit because it felt really snug. It felt really comfortable in that like my shoe and my foot were just kind of one piece. Something that I really like about this too is this collapsible heel in the back because what this gives is it gives you that full range of motion. You're not like pinching on the calcaneus or the Achilles. You're letting that whole heel ride through the entire foot. And the specs, the science behind the shoe, we work with a brilliant team. And what's really great about this is like they schedule chats with us. Like I'm going to the Brooks headquarters um, on March 2nd, which is tomorrow to go in and just kind of give a, a 90 minute chat about this spike, the spike coming out, kind of what I like, what I don't like. I mean, they take every single bit of feedback, positive or negative. Yeah. And I'm the worst because I like they asked me lots of questions and I really liked the spike when like the first round of it. And I just said I really liked it and I didn't want them to change it. And so they were like, you're being useless. And so like there, it's just a feel thing for me. Like I genuinely feel like these are the best spikes that they could have come out with this year. And um, I have no problems with them. Are uh, they the best spike that you've ever had? Yes. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. 100%. What would you like have ran it, the collegiate record in if you had this spike your senior year or junior <laughs> year of college? I should have ran it in like 33 point, but um, uh, at least 328, mate. Perfect. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, it's difficult because I haven't ever got... Actually, I went back to the wires I wore in 2019 um, before all these... Well, before Brooks came out with the Super Spikes. Um, and yeah, not great. Uh, in comparison I think, I think what's funny too is when you look at the competitor products and then the things that they utilize in their their shoes i think the best part about brooks is their innovation and their ability to see what they're doing but then do it a little bit better and i think that's finally what we got to with this spike and i think this is exactly where we're going to be for 2024 as well i think for the first time in brooks running it's becoming a competitive elite brand and you should be able to see athletes of all levels wearing elite spikes like the wires or the eliminates just things that are on their feet that's from our brand yeah and, and i think i think it's a good time to start branching out like uh, obviously we're running i mean the, these are gonna be one of the fastest miler spikes in the world like hands down and just people getting in the spikes like as soon as you get in these spikes you're going to be like wow these are these are mega these are proper proper big boy stuff um and so just get, like try and spikes out. So when you go to, you know, your local running store and you're trying spikes, just put them on, like yeah. put different brands on, put, you know, five or six different brands on, make your comparison because every spike's different. Every spike will, you know, maybe you're looking for a bit more firmness. Maybe you're looking for it to be a bit lighter, a bit more responsive, like find the spike for you. Don't just, don't just go for, you know, the generic brands that you think are going to do well, because these all every single brand that has a pro running team right now are putting millions and millions of dollars into creating some of the best spikes for the athletes that are coming up in high school, that are coming through college, that are being um, professionals or even even someone who just wants to go out and try and run their fastest mile or their fastest 5K or whatever. Like just try different brands on like that's the big thing is 
brands are working so hard in making the best product and everyone has their own way of doing it. And that's what's really fun from our point of view is that we get this spike team pretty much saying, we're trying to create the best spike for you guys and let us know how you do it. So, you know, there's a, there's some Josh personality in here. There's some Dave personality in here. You know, there's some Nia personality, Marta. There's, I mean, there's every, every beast has had a hand in these spikes and it's really cool. Yeah, or, or and it's really cool if you guys can support us that way as well. Just being like, you know, I, I, I'm gonna try these spikes because, you know, Dave, Dave, um, was was the one that you know has convinced me. You know, that that kind of stuff is really fun for us to hear as well. So yeah, I would say get in them, try them. If you don't like them, I'll send you the fucking money back. All right, fine. But you guys I don't just know how much that. they're gonna be, but they're gonna they're gonna be a nice <laughs> price. But I mean, they're free for them if they don't like them. So, um, nice. that's gonna really wrap up what we're doing here, guys. We had a fan submitted questions, but we actually looped those in and just kind of naturally let those kind of filter through our natural conversation. So there's nothing that we really need to cover at this point. Um, but like I said, the structure of this is going to be a little bit different. It turned into a little bit more podcasty than I'm probably sure Josh and I thought. Um, but that's the beauty of what we do is we sometimes get on a roll and we don't want to stop because we've got a mission We're here. Addicts. We're addicts. We're addicts. Man. We're addicts behind the mic. With Josh Kerr. I'm here, Dave Riddich. Josh Kerr. David Ribich. Josh Kerr's for real. Fastest D2, 1500 meters. Josh Kerr on the outside. Way up front now is David Ribich. 